0: Who is joining us for this podcast. NHS England Chief Executive Amanda Pritchard has made clear that digital is central to transforming the NHS to tackle the backlog and recover services after the COVID-19 pandemic. The NHS is thereby committed to continuing to invest in the foundations for digital maturity, such as electronic records, infrastructure and connectivity across health and social care, increase the range of organisations that can access shared care records in ICSs, and support ICSs to implement a population health and planning data platform. As integrated care systems continue to build resources to implement their digital plans, We will today be exploring what the potential is for digital and technology to improve the health system and what impacts we can expect this to have on both patient outcomes and the NHS. My name is Rosie Hill. I'm a senior associate here at Global Council in the Health and Life Sciences team. And today we will be talking about ICSs and how these are expected to have an impact on digital and tech health innovations across the country. To discuss this and more, I'm delighted to be joined by Bride O'Brien, Director of Innovation and Digital Health at NHSE. Matthew Swindells, Chair of the Four Trusts that Make Up the Northwest London Acute Collaborative and former Deputy Chief Executive of the NHS. Dr Phil Richardson, Programme Director for Dorset ICS and Strategic Advisor to the Board. And Dr Harpreet Sood, Practising GP and former Associate Chief Clinical Information Officer at NHS England. Breed, we have witnessed much change in the digital health landscape in recent years, with NHSX and NHS Digital both integrated into NHS England in just the last year, could you please talk us through the NHS's current thinking on digital health strategies and how this will impact upon regional
1: delivery? Thanks, Rosie. Um, and great to be here today. Um, I guess just for some context, I, mean, I got involved in digital in 2003 and have been watching change happen over the last 20 years. And I have to say, thankfully, things have changed incredibly. I was just reflecting how implementing EPRs in those days. We didn't even have CCIOs. I mean, it's quite unbelievable when I reflect, but nothing like the change in the last two years, which I think is unprecedented, much related to COVID, but actually it's really made digital a, a real inherent part of how we deliver care. So I think that's a really significant change. And obviously, we've learned lots uh, during COVID. And one of the things I think for me, the prevailing learning is how we can collaborate and work much more effectively as partners when we have some a common sense of purpose. So bearing that in mind, I think um, the changes in the centres, so the new NHS Transformation Directorate led by Tim Ferris, I think this is bringing together um, you know, the organisations like NHSX, NHSD um, and other organisations uh, to enable that partnership working, um, Tim obviously reports into um, Amanda Pritchard, the chief exec of NHS England, and the team is now bringing together diverse uh, and multi-professional skills. And obviously NHS Digital have, have are currently working in partnership with that. The legislation changes will um, enable that formal merger in due course. So I feel quite excited about the changes at the centre um, in terms of, Probably what it means to local systems, because a lot of them never knew the difference between NHSX, NHSD, who did what. So, it's more of a cohesive um, offer from the centre. Um, and obviously, the ambition is how do we take digital out of silos and make it uh, put it at the heart of what we do in the NHS, whilst accelerating recovery. Of routine services and tackling the backlog. So, you know, we really have to redesign services. And for me, I can't think of a, uh, an improvement use case in healthcare that wouldn't involve technology at the moment. Uh, so it really has to be not front and centre, but absolutely uh, an inherent part of ambition setting. I like the idea of how if you really want to imagine how we can do things differently. And personally, I think we have to do things differently. We can't continue as we are. Actually asking the question, how can digital positively disrupt how we do things and enable us to do them very differently with an absolute focus on uh, what this means for patients, including digital inclusion, but also um, how we make sure the user voice is front and centre. So that, you know, bringing together the various organisations, including improvement capacity into one uh, team, I think is a really positive thing. But then think about what that means for Regions and ICSs, I'm going to focus on the work that um, my team have been leading on, which is our Supporting People at Home program. And that's involved, uh, you know, us national funding and of course the funding. I think people find the programmatic funding difficult, so that is being looked at. But national funding with the sort of wrap of support and the funding around themes, but the decision about what to focus on is a local decision. We all know sustainable change happens locally. So for me, the, the role of the centre then is how do we enable rapid sharing and learning to avoid duplication across the system? And that's we've had some really good uh, feedback on that, and we did have an Ipsos Mori rep- uh, evaluation which showed that actually, if you give uh, if you give a support offered to systems, local systems will deliver, and I think that's what we're seeing. So I suppose for me, that's one of the most important things, and it it's really important to say that when I talk about local systems, I'm talking about health and care because I think that's a really important part as we move through towards ICS. So. Overall, I think it's a really good thing that you know we're, we're it's about partnerships throughout throughout the system at all levels, both um, horizontally and vertical. And I mean genuine partnerships, so less hierarchy and more how do we work together and create the um, conditions for local systems to succeed. I'm gonna stop there because I'm sure we'll come back around the loop on this. But.
0: Thanks, Brig. I particularly like that question, how can digital positively disrupt? That's a great way of phrasing it. Um, Matthew in June the government published its plan for digital health and social care which takes into account the role that digital technology can play in improving healthcare. How effective a role do you see this happening given the state of politics in the UK currently?
2: There's some things that are going to change and some things that that will stay the same uh, around technology. I think the publication came out a couple months ago it had some great strengths but its big weakness was that it's again a technology document and the the focus that we need to have is Briggs' point about what is actually going to change the way in which care is delivered both in terms of quality and in terms of of, of the cost of, of of delivering care now we've got at least temporarily a, a Secretary of State Steve Barclay, who's very data driven doesn't think he's a software engineer unlike at least one of our previous secretaries of state, but, 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 but does expect um, uh, to see data-driven uh, answers. And given the pressure the NHS is currently under, both in terms of services and in terms of money, and the language that's been used in the uh, leadership campaign for our next prime minister, which has lent into the, the NHS is a, is a black hole, we've given them a huge amount of money, what are they doing with it? We are going to have to, regardless of who the Secretary of State is, I think the first question that will be coming down from the centre before anyone says here's more money to bail out, the NHS's current position is where did the money go before, how is it being used, are we eliminating unwarranted variation, can we just see standardisation around best practice, et cetera, et cetera. And we've been poor at articulating that, frankly, frankly, lots of parts of the country Or implementing that. So so I think that we will see one of the blinding lights that will cut through the political confusion at the moment will be the one which says the NHS is going to need to do better with the money it's got at the moment. And technology is one of our few ways through that. And as we start to do that, we start to make the argument about whether the NHS is efficient or, 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 or not, and therefore make the case uh, in the run-up to the next general election, about whether the uh, about how much more money the NHS is going to need going forward. So, so, so I think technology and the use of technology and the use of data are going to be at the core of this. I think ICSs have a really big challenge at the moment. I mean, they are in the forming stage of their life. They've been given a system with quite a fragmented uh, technology environment. I think some of the uh, uh, some of the instructions out of the centre, um, such as the guidance that. ICSS should start to standardize around an electronic patient record for hospitals, a standardized GP record, and so on to reduce some of the variation is absolutely first rate. I was really pleased when I took on a chair for Northwest London that the four hospitals there had chosen to standardize on one electronic patient record. It didn't really matter which one it was, it was the fact they were going to have one record that was the important thing when it comes to, to, to design, the to designing the services. But It's really hard for the ICSs as they stand at the moment to impose discipline on poorly behaved providers at the moment. And so it does actually require the providers to step up and take their role in the system and actually start to behave like part of a system and and not like uh, individualised beasts. And the ICSs are going to need help from the centre to create an infrastructure that people can uh, innovate around. Because if we're going to do service-driven change rather than a technology-driven change. If we're going to be driven by who are the excess patients coming into an A&E department or lying in our hospital beds, and which of them can be managed by technology and which of them can't, and what are we going to do, then you get a set of technology decisions which need an infrastructure in place. And, And I do think that some of the stuff that is not in the plan that was published, but is coming out loud and clear from the centre around the federated data platform and the work that Ming Tang and her team did is absolutely crucial. I mean, I I, I frequently think back to when uh, I was chief operating officer and responsible for technology at NHS England, and Frimley Park came to me and said, "We've been talking to Harvard University, and some of their professors would like to do an analysis on population health needs in our patch, and we need a million pounds." And I said, "Well." sounds like a lot of money, but actually to get that quality of analysis, maybe it's money well spent, sent me the proposal, and it was £800,000 worth of gathering the data together and £200,000 worth of uh, intellectual population health genius from Harvard. We slow up our ability to innovate around quality of care, around uh, cost of care, and around population health. All of the time, we are reinventing the data platform every time we want to solve a hard problem, and so I'm, I'm very excited that Ming may have put a finger on uh, on driving forward a piece of basic infrastructure that um, in a federated way which will allow ICSs to do their own thing but do their own thing, starting from the going forward rather than having to go back and remine again for us. so, so I, I think it's a bit of a curate egg at the moment. I think it's a big challenge for ICSs and it requires the systems to step up and not wait for the ICSs to do it for them. And I think some of what's going on from the centre is is genuinely helpful in creating that infrastructure.
0: To Phil Richardson, thank you for joining us today. You are the programme director for Dorset's integrated care system. From your point of view, what are the key challenges for ICSs in improving and harnessing digital technology?
3: I, I think this is a great question. I think both Breed and Matthew have touched on it already, really. the I want to start with a couple of controversial comments just to set the context based on my experience. And then I'll broaden it out to explain why I've said that. I don't think digital is about technology. And I think there's probably something that we need to think about is the question we're trying to answer rather than the solution we're we're trying to adopt. And I think the challenge we've got with digital is it starts in one of two places. It starts either with a telephone directory of information we've gathered for some reason historically in separate places, or it starts with here is a technology and how it could help improve things. And I think really we need to start with, well, what is the question we're trying to answer and what therefore is the design that we would like to run? So I think there's a big piece to play here in design thinking, and I think one of the challenges the ICS have got is it's a collection of parts that have been collaborating, working together or geographically located for a while. Uh, We've done some fantastic stuff in Dorset to get this to move forward. So we created uh, an informatics group which brought together the technologists the infrastructure people, the clinicians, the social care teams, and the third sector to talk about what our informatics approach would be. Um, And that's created um, an integrated strategy that we've got for the system, which has about 450 people all being aligned behind one plan. But then if we look at the 109 organisations that are involved, working across different histories with different... data held in different ways for different reasons. And and even though we've got a very successful integrated care record and we're part of the Wessex Care Records program, we've still got people getting letters from the same hospital, which are on slightly different format at different times with different nomenclature and different layout. We've still got the inability to connect uh, medical records in one hospital across the border in Hampshire with the Uh, GP records in Dorset. We've got work heading towards that way, but it still doesn't exist. So I think one of the things that you really rush into very quickly is in an integrated care system is that it expands in many different directions all at once, even though you're trying to organise your thoughts. So I think the key key challenges for me would be start with a question we're trying to answer rather than the data we've got and what do we do with it. I think look at how... we can identify in the enterprise process design what is the model that we are running and it's not the care model it's the whole system model what does that look like and what is the data that's produced and consumed by that and how might we make it work it is make sense of the skills and resources you've got across the patch and i give an example of the the sort of scale of uh, people that we have in this space. And then I think it is how you work part of a national conversation and part of a local conversation. So my, my, my sort of second controversial point is around, I don't think policymakers can be supporters. I think you're either in a policy making space or you're in a supporting space. You either need to work in a consultative way, or you need to be laying out what the policy is, and I think part of what we've struggled with in the past, and and Breed touched on this to some extent, is the is the handing down of this is what we need to do into an environment which isn't doesn't have an ability to receive it. So I think there are some things about how we might make that work uh, better, uh, and then I think the final bit is um, we we need to think more than we need to do. I would say our collective approach to everything to date has been either firefighting, work around or fixes, uh, and it's, ba- it's been based on some mental models, which are about how do I make my system work versus how do we make our systems work. And then linked to that, the just one fire bit, which may be the most controversial of all, it is is digital as an agile space and it's revenue-based. It is not a component space, which is capital-based. Yeah, the whole of the funding model historically has been on that basis. so so it's really it's digital digital is not about technology we we need to ask the question, see what the enterprise is. We need to think about um, how we stop firefighting doing works around and fixes, even though on a day-to- day basis that's absolutely what it feels like we should be doing um, and we need to look at what is the what is the model we're trying to run what's the business we're trying to run and I think that would help us get us to a more integrated space.
0: Thanks, Phil, that's really interesting. Um, And I think I'll ask others to come in on that, but but to give them some time before I I, um, ask them to respond. Harpreet, I was going to come to you next. You're a practicing clinician in South London where you serve a diverse population with multiple health needs. What impact do you think better technology can have on your patient population? And what do you think are the main challenges for GPs when seeking to upscale technology at the clinical level?
4: Thanks, Rosie. Um, and, and great to be uh, with, with colleagues today on the podcast. So I, I think um, a few things to just reflect on. Firstly, COVID certainly has uh, increased the acceptability of using digital solutions in the health system, and I think increasingly so, you know, main across secondary care, because primary care has been on a trajectory where the use of electronic records and other tools have been in place for a number of years. But, but we've certainly seen a greater uptake in um, a secondary care. And I think from the primary care perspective, that's also been, uh, we've seen the access- acceptability from patients' perspective, patients who are willing to Engage via text messages. Who are willing to engage by online consults, such as e- triage, and even in you know some cases virtual consultations through a uh, video consult. That is less and less, but you know the, the fact that many are willing to do that now and and see the benefits of it, I think, is very useful. I think linked to that, what I've seen uh, over the last two years in particular is the mindset from clinicians also change, which is. The biggest challenges we've seen often in in healthcare systems, I think, and particularly across the NHS, is the increasing amount of resistance from clinicians, clinicians who are willing, who are not willing, sorry, to give up everything they do because everything they do, they think is important. So that mindset of task shifting, I think, is often hampered uh, a lot of the progress that we would want to see. In digital, so I think COVID has really shifted that mindset and accelerated that, which I think is a positive thing. So, in reflection to your question, then, um, you know, I think we're in a great opportunity where we are today, especially in, in the primary care front. Because, um, if I take some key examples, such as the NHS app, that's obviously uh, increased tremendous amounts of downloads, and we've seen many more people use that, and so. The job I think the system has to do, and putting no pressure on Breed in particular uh, and others, is that how do you utilize this an app and the ability to utilize it in a more effective way? So many are using it for, let's say, COVID passports at the moment, but how do we actually increase the functionality of that and think about providing more services such as whether it's booking appointments, uh, you know, many of them are requesting repeat medications through that, but there's other things we can provide onto that. Um, And I know Matthew was very involved with that when he was at NHS England. So, but I just think it's a very unique moment for us to capture that attention from the patient's perspective. So that for me is a big part. The second is again, like I was saying, because many are now engaging with platforms to communicate with their clinicians or other healthcare professionals, such as text messaging services and beyond I think this is a really good opportunity for us to think about remote patient monitoring so if I look at my workload a lot of the work that GPs do as in terms of annual reviews screens monitoring for regular let's say blood pressure asthma reviews COPD reviews Now, many of these can be done virtually you know again it's not for everyone but I often find that if we start thinking about everyone then obviously that may slow things down but why don't we capture that population that is willing to engage start with those and then we can focus on those that may need additional support, infrastructure help and and many of them may actually come in so but the problem is if we start focusing 100% we we then don't focus on that 50% for example that may want to engage with digital so i think there's a real opportunity there for us to do more and that includes you know sending surveys through text or an email getting them to fill that out, so we start recording the annual screens. you can even then send them the forms to do their bloods and all that kind of remote management patient aspects of things. So I think there's there's that big opportunity there. And the third thing from the patient's model, which I think links to how we provide more care, is to think about virtual care models. So in primary care, for example, in particular, we've seen an increase uh, uptake in the additional uh, roles that have been provided in primary care. So physios, pharmacists, paramedics, physician associates, and there's more likely to come down that route. And that presents a really exciting opportunity because rather than relying on the GP, for example, to do everything, we are distributing the model now where we are thinking about all these other healthcare professions that can support chronic care management primary care. And so picking up on Phil's point, you know, again, this is not about the technology per se, but it's about how do we use technology to do multidisciplinary team working and provide an infrastructure in place that allows us to create virtual care models so that those that may not be able to complete things online, we can do virtual appointments such as group virtual consultations or whatever it might be. But I think really exciting opportunity there. So that for me, on the patient lens is, is, is some of the a few things that I think we should really leverage on and capture on while, while we have the moment. On the collision side, I think, you know, again, we have an acute problem, which is shortage of staff. You know, we have problems with recruitment and retention, which then presents challenges around the headspace to actually make a lot of this happen. Now, I think many want to do this, but many are like, well, actually, I just need to crack on the day job. So there is that friction we're experiencing at the moment, more so than usual at the currently. And I think that will, as we head into the winter, it's likely to be like that for, for a while, which is, yes, I really want to do this. I really find this exciting, but I just can't think about this because of the acute pressures I face in today's work. Now, there are ways around that, which you can provide dedicated staff that do the heavy lifting so you get the engagement from clinicians. But also, if we have the right incentives in place and we have the right uh, mindset place, I think we can also get over that. But clinicians on the whole are willing to engage on it. Many are, you know, understanding the importance of it. Many realize the importance of quality and safety and the evidence around why this works and this may not work. And so the fact that we are engaging in on that, I think is a very big step forward. We just need to capture that in a way that allows us to make progress on it, which I'm hopeful on. So that's what I think from the clinician angle. Uh, we just need to think about it in a bit more detail.
0: Great. Thank you, Harpreet. And um, Matthew, I don't know if you wanted to come in there.
2: Yeah, thank you, Rosie. I just wanted to pick up on a couple of things that that, that have been uh, said. The, the first was, I think, uh, there was an important comment about, about think more. I think the NHS has a problem with doing now and next at the same time. And it's really important that we do because we're seeing failures coming out again, new failures from the respond urgently to the latest initiative without the bigger thought of, so what's going to going to look like in six months' time and what would it look like in two years' time and what's it going to look like in five years' time? If you take uh, the virtual ward programme, which I think is a fantastic programme, uh, virtual ward programme gets launched. You've got some respiratory physicians really enthusiastic in one place, some heart failure physicians really enthusiastic about it in another place, some GPs really enthusiastic about it in, a, in another place place sooner or later all of these patients will be being managed through a virtual ward in all of the places and we're not we don't have what's the infrastructure platform that's going to tie that together and tie it back into the electronic patient records that GPs and doctors and nurses are are, are using and I think that's too hard a question for most ICSs to be able to step up and deal with at the moment so I think getting getting that balance between I have a problem I want to solve I know what I need to do urgently because we have a panic on. But if we do the wrong thing now, we just spend our time unpicking or or repeating the failure by trying not to look like we've had to unpick doing the wrong, the wrong thing. The the other point I just want to pick up was, was was Harpreet's point about engagement. We've not talked um, much about he- health inequalities, um, and and I do think as we as we map out a digital uh, strategy, we have to work out what our digital exclusion strategy is at the moment, and and there are two standard answers, both of which are unacceptable at the moment, one of which is the trickle-down answer, which says, well, if we take all the people who've got technology out of the way, it gives more time for all of the people who don't have technology. Well, unfortunately, that's not the way the NHS is. The, the, The poor, the sick, the confused, the people with mental health problems, the people who are very elderly, they are most of our work. So, providing a technology for working-age adults is a good thing in its own right, but it doesn't actually address that. Um, and the other problem is the the silver surfer. Well, you keep talking about people who can't access it, but my granddad's 85, and he put any programs in Python. You know, that's not an answer to digital, to digital exclusion either. We need to start designing it into our health strategy. So, if we really want to be doing a lot of digital interaction, then we should be running digital clinics in care homes and someone should go out with the technology, which doesn't have to be the GP, so that you can connect people up. We should be doing it via um, pharmacy. So I should be able to go into a booth in Boots, be connected up to a heart monitor and be able to talk to my GP or my cardiologist. We need to think bigger. It's not just about the technology. It's actually about who are our digital health navigators? Where are my points of access? And, and, and how, how do we actually reach the people that we think ought to, we want to talk to through this technology? And, and that becomes a service design issue, not an IT issue. In a way, the IT problem has been solved. What's not been solved is how you get people on the other end of it.
0: Thanks, Matthew. Um, a lot of questions there to be answered. And perhaps I could pick on Phil and then Breed to um, give us some solutions to those.
3: I, I think with Harpreet's um, uh, excellent summary of where, where we are in uh, primary care is it, it is burgeoning with opportunity, and and yet there isn't the space to think, uh, and and in a in an interesting paradox the the thinking space would help reduce the work pressure. And it's, and it's how we play those how we play those things together, and I think there's definitely a role for uh, people within the national teams and the local teams to help facilitate that process, but not replace it. Uh, uh, my, my personal experience of uh, of having a fantastic response from uh, clinicians right across the patch uh, both medical ahps uh, and support and social workers is that there's a huge contribution to make if they've got the time to think about things and and some structuring to help uh, make a contribution and and on the on the back of that we've got an intelligence service running which allows us to be Uh, able to analyse our hospital data, mental health data, our social care data, local authority data, all all through a single lens. And so we could talk about people with social care provision who've had a mental health episode, who've been in ED, who've got this type of uh, profile or this type of need. So we can identify cohorts of people in that way. And And our conceptual thinking is taken out into a living laboratory, which allows us to deliver services in practice whilst doing research on the fly almost, um, and you could potentially change services. The technology would allow you to do on-demand service change, so you don't have to lock something in. You can you, you can change it. And, and if I just want to connect that to Matthew's point about the exclusion, you, you can run digital without the person actually being involved with it at all. The house will just wrap itself around the individual, or the environment will wrap itself around the individual. And uh, We think at the moment, if I just take um some of the work that we've been looking at locally. You you can measure wobbliness in the home without the person actually having to press anything, log into anything, check anything. And you can send that information to somewhere or somebody who could say, actually that's a little bit out of scope. Um, and we need to we need to do some intervention. And I, I just one last quick example is we we're working with the local authority doing infrared photography of homes to look at heat loss. And we could look at relatable data which says here's a home that's dark, either there's nobody in, or there are people in and haven't got the heating on, or the home is really well insulated, but it's out of kilter with the others in the street, so perhaps that's not it. We can identify who they are from our clinical record, and we can dispatch a first responder who might be a neighbor with a cup of tea to check if they've got the heating on. You can do those things, but you need to think about what it is you're trying to solve we're in a real danger, I think, of being overwhelmed by the technology. If I look at just some of the SME work that we do with through the I uh, sit on the AHSM board, and we just look at some of that, it's an overwhelming number of companies trying to do something that's trying to be triaged through an innovation process, trying to be pushed into a digital ecosystem that hasn't really been designed. So so I think there's there's just something about taking a pause, checking what the jigsaw box lid looks like before we all start looking for the sky pieces. Thanks, Bill.
1: Reid? Gosh, there's so much here, isn't there? I could comment on lots of things. But if I could just, I think coming back to something Harpreet said and then something that um, Matthew said. So I think with Harpreet's point about remote patient monitoring, I mean, that is part of our Supporting People at Home programme. And we are seeing some really interesting things around the country. And I'm just thinking, This is about real partnerships with people. It's not about empowering patients. It's making them partners in their care. And if I give a specific example of Steve, who won't mind me quoting him, a patient in the Northeastern Yorkshire who has been taking warfarin, long-term warfarin, because he can't take anything else. You know, stepping up to hospital, to anticoag clinics, to have his blood tested, to have his medication changed. With a home monitoring device and connectivity to the team, he goes once a year. To have his machine calibrated. He's gone to Spain. He just tweeted a couple of weeks ago. He's been in Spain on holiday. Because he's constantly monitoring and connected, he doesn't come back with his iron ore completely skewed. He stays within therapeutic range. So there's a huge opportunity here, I think, about partnerships with patients and self-care that will absolutely reduce the need for some of our reactive care. So I absolutely agree with Harpreet that I think remote patient monitoring offers some Really good opportunities. And then just to t- touch, Matthew mentioned care homes. We're seeing really good um, partnership working between health and care, where we're putting in uh, vital signs monitoring into care homes, but simple, simple technology, supported by people teaching the care staff how to do it. And then when they when so when um, a resident is unwell, instead of speaking to the GP and saying Mrs. Jones isn't so good today or she's off her feet the gp is also getting and her new score is x and her objective data you know her vital signs are y because they're they're able to collect that data and I think that's changing the dynamic and the trust and the conversations between health and care so I think it's technologies enabling that but there's a whole cultural change happening in some areas we also have some examples of ambient monitoring in care homes where actually you know you're not disturbing people at at night because you can tell whether they're moving but equally ambient monitoring in homes that tells you know is somebody how much water are they using you know how how you you really start to get a whole picture of how often they're going to the toilet, as well as perhaps some vital signs measurement. We're building up a really good picture of people, I think, and what's going on in their lives. So I think it's a really, really exciting piece. And just to touch on one last thing, which was, Phil, I think you talked about um, your people collaborating and um, with the virtual war programme, the national virtual war programme, we have weekly sessions that ICS has come to. Anything from 150 to 250 people turn up weekly and it's them sharing the learning. It's not the centre saying, it's us facilitating, as you said, uh, enabling people to sort of collaborate. um, And like tomorrow I'm chairing a session, but it will be a patient voice And staff on the ground voice. It will just be me facilitating the conversation. So I think there's huge opportunity here. Just
4: one more thing I wanted to pick on what pick up on, which I think is is critically important here, is the importance of skills and training. Because you know one of the things I I set up when when I was at NHS England was the NHS Digital Academy, which was a a program that we created to help upskill and develop a cadre of CCIOs and cios across the the, the system. And obviously we're now in cohort six and and, and, and then we've got an extension to go for, and so that's hundred a year that we're training. Now that obviously is a drop in the ocean when it comes to the wider system, but but I think that needs to then filter down to the rest of the health and care staff, which is again we don't need to train everyone to become a CCI or CIO, but it's about making them understand, you know, what is digital transformation or transformation enabled by technology, understand the arts, of the possible, give them the confidence that what they're doing is. Um, is possible, but also giving them the the art of the possible, which is by learning through others and and making sure that we work in collaboration with industry, because the NHS really can't do this on their own and they need to do it in in partnership. And I felt that when I was uh, involved in the early stages of digital academy, which we were setting up, not only did it instill a sense of confidence that we can uh, do this, but it gave them the green light to go and push this innovation, which is often a challenge with many clinicians and healthcare staff, which is they're all fearful of feeling, is this the right thing for me to do? Will I get this wrong? Um, and I think we need to create a culture which is around you know, taking that risk, but also reimagining care in a different way. Because if we end up digitising what we're doing today in the same processes, we would have really missed a trick. This is about really thinking deeply and saying, how do we do this thing differently? And that picks up on Phil's point around design thinking and design workshop. But it's that skills piece I think really is important here, which will allow the confidence allow them to show what the answer possible is but also importantly develop a network in their regions in their localities, so that they can share the knowledge and the insights and i've been to the virtual ward stuff that um Brady talked about and i think that's a hugely powerful example of a group where we're learning from each other but also developing a network where we can reach out to one another and say i'm thinking about doing it this way i'm thinking about doing it that way what do you, you do and what's worked what's not worked and that will come through upskilling and developing these learning networks amongst the communities.
0: Thank you, Harpreet. We probably have time for one last quick question. So Breed, I'm going to come to you. We've talked about government priorities and how we can expect digital innovation to affect clinicians. What do ICS leaders need to be doing in this space?
1: Actually, in our conversation, we've sort of been answering that because it really is a mindset shift. And for some people, it's not a huge shift. But I think, you know, Harpreet's talked about the Digital Academy, which I think is fabulous but I do think it's still strange that we have leaders developing digital skills. We have leaders developing other skills. Actually, for me, a leader has to have rounded skills. And sometimes that is also recognizing that you as a leader don't have strength and depth in a particular part, but surrounding yourself by the right people. So I think a mindset shift change Uh, to be open to the opportunities that digital can offer and also to be mindful of the challenges because this isn't easy. Let's not pretend. Uh, I think we've heard why it's not easy. But equally to surround yourselves with people who are bringing a rounded view. So it's not like the really tech, technophile. It's like people who are grounded in reality. So I think you need people who understand improvement, who understand digital, who understand the operational pressures, and it should definitely be led by clinicians with a very strong user voice. So I think for me, that's probably the rounded leadership, but a mind being open to the opportunities that digital offers. And I would touch on Phil's point earlier, I do think we need to think about this as a revenue model. Capital is becoming slightly problematic in how we fund. It's a service, it's not an asset. So I think there's, a, there's an opportunity there we need to address. Thank you. That seems
0: like a positive note to end this
1: on. Um, I think that's all we have time for today. This is the
0: third and final episode in our mini-series on integrated care systems. If you want to catch up on our other episodes on workforce and health inequalities, then these are available on all our usual channels. As always, if you, your business or your investment is exposed to the challenges we've discussed, don't hesitate to get in touch. You can find contact details for myself and our sectoral teams on the GC website at www.global-council.com or via the link in the podcast notes. My thanks once again to Breed O'Brien, Dr. Phil Richardson, Matthew Swindells and Dr. Hartpreet Sood and thanks to you for listening.